As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. And welcome again to the second episode of the Football 305 podcast. I'm Kelly Cates. Uh, alongside me, my brother, uh, Paul Dalgleish from Florida. And actually, for people who aren't in the States or even in Florida, or even for people who are in Florida but might not know, why Football 305? Why that number? 305 is the area code for Miami. I wouldn't know that because I only ever call your mobile. And even oh, then, I wouldn't, know, I wouldn't even know what the number was. Well, my mobile was actually 786, so I don't even what? get the 305. I'm not, I'm not an original. I thought, right. I thought that was how many goals you scored. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that was how many no. times I sat on the bench. <laughs> <laughs> that would be minutes on... played. <laughs> oh, hang on, hang on. That's both our guests. We were going to do a nice, relaxed start to it, but oh. we're straight in. We're joined, of course, by Ian Poulter, who you heard first, and Kenny Dalgleish, who was, made a guest appearance in, in last week's podcast because he made a little cameo role when he brought me a glass of wine. So the fact that we've got him involved in the pod means that I've got no wine for this one, so hopefully it goes a bit more smoothly. What do you think? I think you can do with it the wine. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need topping up. How have you, how no. have you been finding isolation, Dad? Uh, very lonely. <laughs> that's oh, because you do try to avoid us all <laughs> I tell you if I'd have been here with your mum uh, just your mum and I I yeah. don't think I'd have survived no I think I your mum would have left me before now <laughs> she, she'd have been she'd have been gone the day minute before official lockdown she'd oh, have been gone as, as soon as you closed the golf courses she'd have been off <laughs> <laughs> packed her bags and, and left Ian, listen. What what are you doing? How are you filling your your time in in isolation? What have you been up to? Um, well, I've left the neighbourhood now. Um, just trying to work out how many days it's been since coming back from TPC Sawgrass. But it's been I've left this entire neighbourhood once in twenty twenty three days. So um, <laughs> I haven't really been doing a lot, to be honest with you. I have. 
Um, been leaving the homeschooling thing up to uh, Katie, my better half, because uh, I was never really good at school um, <laughs> when I was kind of 14, 15, 16. So um, I'm not going to be any good at that. Um, she was the straight A student, so I figure that's probably best leaving the kids, you know, in, in Katie's capable hands. Um, and I've been, you know, doing some videos for social media, trying to keep up to speed with all of the things that are going on around the world, our schedules that are ever changing, um, doing some fun content stuff for Formula One, uh, jumping in the race simulator and just, you know, just trying to, trying to fill my time, bit in the gym and trying to kind of get my head around what's, what's going on. Because when you, you can't get out to, to golf courses, and really this is more advice for my mum or for my, for my dad, but on my mum's behalf, what, what do you do? Because you, you can't actually get out and do well, what it is that you're supposed to be, to be practicing for or training well, for. Yeah, I mean, well, in Florida, we actually can play golf. Are um, you allowed out? Yeah, we, we, we can. It is a recreational, it's down as a, one of our recreational uh, exercises. Um, which, you know, obviously with there being so many golf courses in Florida, um, for the most part, I think most of them are actually open. So there are rules and regulations. You can only, you can only be one person per golf buggy. You have to stay, uh, six foot apart. Um, you know, no, no touching the pin. And, um, you know, you still do have an opportunity to play. I haven't really, I mean, in those 20, however many days I've had here, I've played twice in that time period. So um, really, you know, I've, I've kept it to a minimum. I didn't really want to overly socialise with anybody. And, um, you know, I've been doing what I can. So, and in that period of not sure when we're actually going to get going again, probably um, Kenny and Paul will be able to pick up on this as well. You don't want to be in peak form whilst you're not actually playing. So I know it might sound silly to a lot of a lot of people on the outside world that why aren't you, you know, practicing and playing every single day? So when you get going again, uh, you're absolutely you're absolutely in top form. You know, you you really have to peak for your tournaments. Um, you have to pick and choose when those are. You need a little bit of rest break in between. Um, and you need to be able to be, you know, firing on full cylinders. If you practice every single day and you play golf every single day, by the time we start, we're going to be exhausted. Yeah. My dad's been waiting to peak for about 40 years, Paul. <laughs> oh. I, I was just amazed when Paul was speaking earlier. He said they went to school when he was 14, 15, and 16. That's brilliant. That's three years at school. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to cut that down to two because I left, I left just as I was 16 um, for full-time work. So, yeah, I, I did a couple of years, Kenny. That's fair enough. That's good. Did you not work in a flow shop? Uh, well, I worked on a market stall from the yeah. age of 11. Yeah. Um, and... You know, I did it on Wednesdays before school, after school. I did it. Um, I did it around around football because, as as some people don't know, you guys probably do know. I wanted to become a football player back in the day. Um, that was the same. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely avid football fan. Loved it. Wanted to be part of a team. Um, I, I had my trials for Tottenham, and they said I was shit. So um, that ended that. 
Yeah. Is that when you became an Arsenal fan? <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, it was. Uh, Holtz, Holtz, that, I've got a funny story about that, right? That, so I remember signing for a club, and I've trained for one day, and the manager said to me, he "says Paul." I know you're a lot better than what you show today, so I'm going to take a chance on you. And I was like, I'm fucking not. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd played well. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, anyway, but it, it worked as far as the golf is concerned. But, I mean, look, as, as you said, there's going to be so many changes to the to the schedule, and it's just going to be absolutely jam-packed with the Open. I mean, obviously, that's that's just gone. That's going to be moved to to next year and then they'll they'll pick up again from there but everything towards the end of the year right up into November looks really really congested does when you when you talk about peaking at the right time does that make it it harder to do well we you know you the announcement yesterday with the open championship uh not taking place at Royal you know Royal St George's I think you know when when we look at that being counted and pushed out for a year the, the three other majors uh, the PGA US Open uh, and obviously the Masters that are now pushed to August September and October is um, um, or sorry September October November even um, it's just we don't know because a load of the tournaments have been postponed, not cancelled. We're still waiting to see when we're going to restart and how the potential postponed tournaments can possibly get pushed into, you know, where some of some of the gaps are in the diary. Obviously, the Olympics is so they can add a tournament into that week. The FedEx Cup playoffs have been pushed back a week, so they've got another week before them to add another tournament that was postponed. So um, it's really going to be interesting to see how the PGA Tour have taken it, see how the European Tour have taken it, because don't forget you've got, you know, you've got players and a lot of players, uh, our Ryder Cup players, play two tours, two schedules, and obviously the European Tour is affected just as much as the PGA Tour, and European Tour are going to need to put in their big tournaments at the back end of the year as well so I really I'm really interested to see how that's going to look um I'm a bit you know apprehensive as to how it's going to be possible to make it work um because there's there's just so much unknown how many weeks in a row can you possibly play as you said to try and peak for certain tournaments when when we restart it looks like we're gonna have to peak for every single week yeah, and especially, like you said, if, if it is going to be the case that you come off the back of the US Open straight into the Ryder Cup, I mean, there's, there's only like what, about four or five days in, in between, well, it will be sort of Sunday to Thursday, won't it? Yeah, I mean, often, often you know, in Ryder Cup's past, there's been a week off after the Tour Championship and, um, you know, uh, uh, but, but I think, you know, guys will be able to, you know, plan somewhat for that. Um, and that is obviously if, if you know if if the Ryder Cup does go ahead in that time period, but you know it really does look like it's going to be um, a very busy back end of the year, and you know as I say, it's just it's just the unknown of how your schedule is really going to shape up, how physically we're going to you know we're going to be able to play. You know, can we play ten out of twelve weeks in a row? Um, mm. You know, that's a lot of golf. 
um, and it's difficult. Well, so when have, they, gone, gone when have they rescheduled the Masters? So the Masters is is put in for uh, November. It's the 12th to the 15th. The, yeah, the week of the 9th to the 15th. So mm. um, 12th to 15th. Um, the weather's just about okay. Uh, obviously, it's a lot cooler, and um, the overseed would have taken would have taken uh, so it would have cooled off a bit and given the course enough time uh, to look good. So, are you are, are you coming? Can you make that <laughs> up for November? I never qualified. Uh, <laughs> he's still waiting to peak. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, you don't you don't mind that tournament, do you? You like Love playing it. there. I love it. I mean, I, you know, is a, I don't know. I mean, what what would that relate to? I mean, you you guys would know what that means to me to to you know to come out and come out the locker room straight out over to, you know, the first tee, the practice area, looking down over over the golf course, all the fans. What would that relate to in football terms? Do you think? Uh, just you walk out of the tunnel anyway. I know the games are big games now, but. The, the the biggest ones for Liverpool would be the likes of Everton or Man U, uh, and if you're up in Scotland, Celtic Rangers. Yeah. The for me that I've been once to the Masters. By the way, it's the best event I've ever been at. But oh, when you walk, well, what about watching me? <laughs> well, that was that was an endurance known event. <laughs> I walked you walked in through past where they get all the, the clothing and everything and I walked onto the grass at the first and I said oh, I can't believe this this is plastic I thought it was artificial it's immaculate it's unbelievable it is remarkable um, you know it's uh, yeah I mean I guess you know it, it's it's the one major we play at the same venue every single year, and all the other yeah. all the other major venues change, right? So it's it's got that super home, you know. When you've been fortunate enough to play quite a lot of them, it's got that homely feel. You know where your lockers, you know how the golf course is going to play, you know how it's going to be set up. Um, and as you say, I mean, we we get goosebumps as as you pull through the gates. Um, it has that feeling about it. And Daddy. the undulations, the undulations in the course is unbelievable. I mean, the first one, it's 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 about a forty fifty yard dip, isn't it? And then back up again. Yeah, you've got the 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 thing that strikes me with that place is obviously TV doesn't do the undulations justice. No, it's very it's very hard to get that perspective. But from when you t- off on the 10th tee for the big dog leg right to left round the corner down the hill to the 11th tee which goes all the way down obviously to the to Wraith Creek um, you've got about a two I'm going to say a 200 foot elevation change from the club down to that 12th green which yeah. is huge that's a huge drop off, um, but it just doesn't. It doesn't look like that from from tele, you know, TV perspective. No, and they bought they bought a load of houses and rebuilt the highway and extended. Was it the second hole? Well, they've 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 done a number of things through the years, and um, you know they, 
you know, first and foremost, the years that I can remember, um, it's, you know, the, the practice ground. The old members' practice ground is still there, so it's left and right-hand side of the driveway as you pull down. And what used to be the which was out to the left of the members' practice ground was just this gravel car park, and they literally turned that into a 350-yard by... 120 yard practice facility with the cabins at the back for the TV, CBS and Sky Sports and all of that. They, every year they seem to, they seem to do something which, um, looks like it's been there for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And you, you've got, you've got no idea. They just do it so well and so perfectly, um, that it just all blends in. Do you mind me saying that? I know, I know you, I know you said that it's the best sporting event you've ever been to, and and I understand that the the place is immaculate for for the 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 reasons that that you and Poulter are, are talking about. But from from having never been to it either, surely the Ryder Cup takes some beating as a sporting event. Yeah, but you know the Ryder Cup, you don't see many shots because. It's and it, it, something can be going on at somewhere else that, other than the game you're at. And if when you go to the Masters, you pick up somebody and you follow them for a few holes, and then you drop off and you go back and watch somebody else. And you've got a wee seat, you got a wee fold away chair, and you just put it down, and it's like a card, a business card in the back of it. You put your name in it, and you can walk away, watch somebody else for five, six holes, come back. And your seat will still be there. And if there's anybody sitting in it, you say, excuse me, that's mine. Look, oh, no problem. And up and off they pop. The drinks and the food and everything in the facility, it's, you're no getting ripped off. It's really affordable in there. A dollar fifty for a sandwich and a Coke. and It's brilliant, Paul. Right. Not affordable to get there, though. <laughs> what? I said maybe less affordable to get there, though. True Scotsman. It's all right. It's all right. Saying, it's all right. It's about a fifty for a sandwich and a coke. It's, it's the flight to the and the entry that's going to be that's going to cause the difference. Aye, but it's, yeah, right. as I say, if you go to sporting events, then no, you're right. No, I know a lot of places well. will rip off. I know, I know. Yeah, look it on is, the positive side. Yeah, <laughs> it's um, it is quite. It is yeah. You know, I mean, listen, Kenny, you're absolutely right. You know, when you go to you know, when you go to the Masters and you ask for a, you know, um, pimento cheese sandwich and a, you know, I never, I never asked for that. And a beer. <laughs> <laughs> right? You can give them, you know, a beer and a sandwich. You give them five bucks, you get change. Yeah. If you gave them twenty pounds in the UK at a football stadium yeah. for a sandwich and a beer, they're going to ask you. For, they're going to ask you for another note. <laughs> yeah. It's true. It is true, and it's it's not it's not. I'm giggling, but it's not funny. But you're right. It is. It's it, a lot of the stuff is an absolute rip off. You know, Dad. You know, you're saying that that's the best golf event you've been to is going to the going to the Masters, and for all the reasons that you've said, is that the best? What's the best football match you've been to as a fan? As a fan, what do you uh, think? Excuse me. It's a long time ago for me to go there as with my dad. Yeah, but do you not do you not do you not kind of go mm-hmm. as a fan now? Do you think? Would you say going to Madrid? Oh, Madrid was fantastic for the European Cup. Yeah. Aye, but... Oh, that's... Oh, aye. You go there, and there was Chelsea in the semi-final at at Anfield as well, when uh, there was a disputed goal 
Lewis uh, Garcia one. Yeah, they said it never crossed the line. Well, in the paper the next day, it said it did. <laughs> <laughs> the big, big question is how much was a sandwich and a coke? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we weren't drinking. I think. But, no, the, but the thing about Madrid was that when you, you and you went over and you were on the big sort of you know VIP bus which is all really nice and it should have been a really lovely experience and a really smooth experience until the bus broke down. No, the bus never broke down. There what was, happened? A, a traffic jam. There, uh, there was gridlock. Nobody could walk. So somebody <laughs> said, oh, this will be a good idea. I said, what do you mean? He said, we'll need to get out and walk. I said, how far is it? He said, half a mile. Oh, well, that's <laughs> no bad. And it was roasting. Yeah. And there was a load of cars in front parked up and buses and taxis. And the Tottenham fans were walking down as well with the Liverpool fans. And credit to both of them. Not any hint of any trouble, never felt any animosity, nothing. And that was going to the game. Mm-hmm. And then our bus was the owners, the football department, Stephen Gerrard was on it, Gary Mack was on it. And they all, the ladies got out and they started walking. And they had to take their high heels off. It kept st- sticking <laughs> into the tarmac. <laughs> Gary Mike was Gary Mike took, took Gary McAllister and just had his hip done. <laughs> and he was limping. And there was an old guy in crutches. And he went, Here, do you want one of these? And he gave him his crutch. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. And that half a mile, somebody was telling his lies, by the way. It was a lot further than that. And the game game itself, I mean, I know you enjoyed the Aye. result. The game itself it done. Just, we can we can gloss over that. Ian, what what was your as a as a football fan? What's the best game you've been to? Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S. based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. I'll tell you what, the most nervous I've ever been at any football game in my life was in 2004. Um, we won the Ryder Cup in September and um, Arsenal invited me to bring the Ryder Cup trophy on um, at half time. Yeah. So I got to be honest, I'm standing in the tunnel, I'm holding the trophy and I've never been so nervous in all my life. There's 30, how many, how many was it? Highbury, 38,000 fans. I'm thinking, are they going to cheer? Are they going to clap? Are they going to just say nothing? Are they all having a beer? Um, are, I mean, how many of them in the stadium actually watched the Ryder Cup? So I was absolute, I've never been so, I was more nervous holding the trophy, walking out the tunnel onto the pitch than I was playing in the Ryder Cup. It was, it was bizarre. So, um, I came out, I went into the center circle, uh, held the trophy up and, uh, got a lovely reception, which, um, you know, for me personally was, was a relief. <laughs> I was absolutely petrified. Um, but that was a wonderful day from a personal perspective, from, um, you know, from a, uh, from a, from a game perspective. Um, 
been at the FA Cup um, and against Chelsea when Ray Parler scored that 30-yard 30 30-yard 30 belter in the top corner. And I'm proud to say I've actually got that shirt um, hanging up in my, in, in my house because uh, he, he he kindly said before the game I could have his I could have his match shirt so um, that was very nice of him. Yeah, and then and then he does that in the game. You're like, I'm good. Did you think he might not give you it after that? I did. As soon as the goal, I mean, it was a, I mean, it was an absolute ripper, right? I mean, it was a belter of a goal, and I, you know, as soon as it went, in, I thought, ah, oh, no, that's it. I'm I'm not going to get his match shirt. But true to form as Ray Parler always is, um, handed me the match shirt after the game, which was awesome. Brilliant. Do you know? Do you know? What was, I want to pick up on something you said about being nervous going, uh, walking out the tunnel. It's amazing, isn't it, how when you're put into a different situation, how it affects your emotion. And, Dad, would you say that you get a similar feeling if you're playing in like a pro-am golf tournament on the first tee and there's people watching? Yeah, we did it. Um, when was the Ryder Cup at Glen Eagles? 2004. 2004? 14. They asked us to come up and play. Uh played on one of the days, Sky, it must have been the Thursday, and there was, uh, we were playing before my Ryder Cup captains, and honest to God, there was, I don't know if you remember on the the first hole, they had the big glass um, sky box on the right hand side, <laughs> on the first tee, and I'm thinking myself, I said to Jamie, I said, Jamie, I- I'm just be happy to miss that. <laughs> I said I don't want to hit down there, and it, it, I hit it. He nearly hit it, but I, I was lucky. I got mine away into the middle of the fairway. Well, there's a shock. No, no, that was the last time I did it. <laughs> <laughs> but on on the Ryder Cup, Paul, then... tonight, you... on, no, I was going to say, Paul, you're just going back to the Ryder Cup. The, do you do you feel because it? I think that you like the, you know, knowing you for a little bit of time. I think you like the. You you almost like the pressure, you know. You and I think that just interesting hearing you talk about Tottenham when you were when you were younger and, and trials. Do 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 you think the Ryder Cup for golfers is almost as close to being a footballer or part of a team sport, you know, with it being such an individual sport as you can really get in golf? Hundred percent. And you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of players that. Um, that react differently in a in a team environment, uh, and that's all I that's all I learned. Um, you know, through my early through my early years playing football, it was being part of a team, the team bonding situation in the locker room. You know, the banter, the fun that you used to have, uh, winning games and 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 enjoying that as a group rather than just an individual. You know. For- when I put the shirt on, when I slip that shirt on and the crest on the left chest, um, it represents something different to what it is when I when I play week in, week out. And, you know, I've always loved that atmosphere. I've always loved the buzz. I've always loved the extra pressure of not just playing for yourself, but playing for your partner on a Friday and Saturday, your teammate, um, whether it be in foursomes or four ball. And, you know, really enjoying what that means uh, from being able to enjoy that as a team. And, you know, there's something there's something very special about um, 
about having that bond. You get closer to uh, to people in that given week than what you ever have in your entire career. And I think you know I've made I've made you know bigger, stronger relationship friendships uh, a period of five days than I had in previous years as I knew that player for, you know certainly for for almost a decade and um you know you guys will be able to probably pick up on that from a, from 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 a team perspective mm. you know you when see, it, see for me pools I would have thought that the foursomes would be the one where you would be most conscious of not wanting to make a mistake because it's no your shot that's coming next. It's your partner's, isn't it? Yeah. It's that's that's the toughest format, but actually, it's actually the most enjoyable format because when you play in four balls, you always have that sense of feeling that you know your your teammates got the opportunity. So if you you know if you mess up or if or if something's not working out, you can always lean on your um, on your teammate foursomes you don't have that luxury and actually that's quite a nice feeling because it puts you under more pressure and it brings out the very 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 best um in your golf it's all right i suppose if the guy who's in the four ball is having a decent day but if he's having a bad day puts (laughs) you under a wee bit pressure doesn't it yeah yeah you're on the back foot um i mean you you know you need to you know, you really need to take the ball by the horns in those situations um, and give it and 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 give it, you know, a hundred percent. I mean, I, I've got a question because when I when I've played in Ryder Cups and when I've played um, under that much pressure, the weeks after that yeah. event, I've been physically and utterly exhausted to a level. You know, I come. I generally get a cold uh, or I get a cold sore or it's a case of I feel physically exhausted. I can't get out of bed. When you've been in that situation where you've played some of the biggest games you've ever played, how do you feel and how's the come down after such a massive event? Yeah, but I think we were more used to it uh, because we did it repeatedly, didn't we? I mean... Even a normal league game, you've got a bit of pressure on. No, it's great. It's what it is when it gets near the knockout stages of the European Cup or getting near a, a league title or something. But you still, you're prepared for it because that's what you're trained for. But it, it, it's, you do get, the come downs is, is much, uh, it's probably more harmful than what it is, the build-up to it. Because can, I, we used can I say something? We used to play on a Tuesday night, right? And then we would get Wednesday off and you would be playing Saturday. If, and it was okay then, because you had three or four nights, three nights sleeps in an afternoon kip on a Friday. If you were playing Wednesday night, we were never as good on a Saturday. Yeah. Because it was habit probably Tuesday night was our night to play. If they moved the European game or a cup game to a Wednesday night, then it hit us badly. I think I think with with Poulton and, and I don't know if, if this is the case with you, but I wasn't in many big games um, as a as a player or a coach. Um, 
But what, what I would say is, and, and you're just talking about, you're talking about that. What I felt almost an, an anti-climax after them. So it was almost like you, you put so much pressure on yourself to win this, then you win it. And it's like, what next? It was almost like, oh, I thought it was going to feel better than that. I mean, you enjoy it, but like the, the next day when you've won it, it, it's, it's almost a situation I felt where there was almost a little bit of, I think deflation. I think like the, not deflation, but like, uh, I know what you're saying about being like run down because it was almost like you put so much pressure on yourself to do it that when you've done it, it's like, okay, what next? Yeah. Well, Maradona says that, doesn't he, about lifting the World Cup as Argentina captain. And he said actually almost as in the moment as he started to bring the trophy down, he was thinking, what do I do now? Now what do I do? Where do I go from here? Yeah, and I, you know, I, I definitely have found, I've definitely struggled, uh, you know, with the excitement and the build-up of the adrenaline and the mm. buzz and the energy that you put into a Ryder Cup. I have always, always, always struggled for a few weeks afterwards. Um, you know, but yet again, you've got other players, you know, Martin Keimer, I can give you an example. After after Medina, um, you know, he went on, or I think it might might have even been Celtic Manor. He played Celtic Manor. I played with him that week. I don't think, you know, I don't think he had his best game that week. And he went out and won whether it was the Daniel Links the week after by like six shots or seven shots. And, you know, I couldn't get out of bed for that for that week afterwards. I was physically mm. spent. And I know you see you know, Wenger was always a big one when he was talking about how many busy games there are over the Christmas period. You know, obviously, um, you know, when you've got so many games, Kenny, as you're saying, like on a on a Wednesday night and then you've got a Saturday game, you know, the effects that that has on you mentally and physically to be able to raise your game for another big game. Yeah, but the opposition's got the same problem. Yeah. So it's a, it's a bit of a leveler, really. And we were always told, if you think you're tired, you'll be tired. And so you, that, yeah. the, 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 the Dunhill links you're talking about, that was not the year when Big Hansen and I beat you and Justin Rose, was it? <laughs> <Big Hansen. laughs> Listen, I'm concerned that you broke that £10 note out of the frame and actually spent it on a cheese sandwich at the party. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> you you oh. did not beat them, did you? Of course. How did you Having do that? Shots. They got shots, Kelly. Yeah, but how many? Oh, it was, listen, I had to get an abacus. It was that many. The, 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 <laughs> I was at the first tee, and honestly, I didn't have, a, there wasn't enough beads on the on the actual wire. He was asking for so many flipping shots. You were, yeah, before he teed off, they were four down. <laughs> <laughs> and how, what tees did, did, did they agree to play off Pulse? Same. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you wish. Yeah, the same tees. We played with the covers on our, on our woods. That <laughs> <laughs> was you, funny. That you was know, very funny. You, you know, just going back to the, the difference, folks, I think, is that in football, it's you can hide behind other people. You know, it's, it's like you, if, you have, if you have a bad day 
then you can blame 10 other people or there's 10 other people on the pitch that can come and rescue you. The, the, you know, whereas in golf, it, I've always, I've always thought that there's no, there's no, there's no one else to help you apart from yourself. Really. I know you've, it's you that hits every shot. So I think it is a, it, it is a different, it's a different situation. Um, it's a different situation to football apart from, as you said, in the Ryder Cup format where, you can you say it's enjoyable when it, it's the four balls because you can you can hit a bad shot and your partner can rescue you and and that that's more like football. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, it definitely could be, but I mean, I mean, surely football's changed. I mean, when, when you look at the technology that they're tracking players, um, you know, in in football, they're, they're tracking how many how many miles a game they're running, how many. You know, converted passes. I mean, every single. I mean, football's changed from, from you know, from from the era of what it used to be. Um, yeah. I mean, no, no one would have worked out and tracked how many miles a player runs in a game back in, you know, in Kenny's heyday. Um, you know, or were they? I mean, that's well. But most most of the distance I covered was going after my first touch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, generally. No, but they had honestly. It's been. It's not just a new phenomenon. This about tracking what people have done and what taking taking down uh, stats and everything. Liverpool did that when I was there. When I first went there, they used to take a they had a big A4 book, and every day after training, they had written down when we started training, who trained, if they never trained, what was wrong with them, what we did in training, and yeah. then we came back. We get a three course meal. At the at the ground because maybe some young boys who weren't the parents might not have been able to afford to get them something decent to eat. Uh, they were making sure that they were getting one solid meal a day. So they they were a wee bit ahead of their time. And what what was good for them at that time would have been steak. And they had an arrangement with some of the guys at the the abattoir. They used to give them some tickets and they used to bring loads of steak down on a Friday. And, Shanks would get out to the younger boys, and uh, and that's how they started. And that's that was where principles. And although it was a bit different later on, I think the principle was the same. No, well, it obviously was the same. I mean, I, you know, I, you know, I wouldn't have thought, you know, just being, you know, just being, you know, seeing where technology's changed our game. Um, you know, obviously, you, you you did have it back then, but it was obviously done on a, on a different scale to 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 what it. You know, to what it is today. Yeah. How do you think? How do you think some of the clubs um, have been affected? Um, you know, in the last in the last month with this whole this whole downtime situation. Do you think we're going to get the rest of the season played out? I, I think there'll be a version of it. It might be closed doors. It might be run about. Birmingham, so there's not a lot of travel for everybody. They can play matches every second day if they want, just to get it finished. Right. They've, they've got the way cleared with the the Europa, the Euro, Euros gone. They've got the the places clear now, so they can finish into August and go straight into next season. I think it will be finished, um, and I think I think also you would want it finished. I don't think it's fair, but like just to be hanging on what you've done and the other problem they've got as well if it's no finished 
the punters have been the punters will be right at the front door to get the season ticket money back. Yeah. Because if the games are dismissed, they've all been there for friendlies. It's not a league yeah. game they've been paying to see. So yeah. the, the, they have, I think they have a bit of pressure on them other than just the number of points that teams are going to get and the positions are going to finish in the league. I think the Sky will be looking to get the games on as well. Yeah, I so think, FIFA, I think um, FIFA either are about to say or have just said that they, they're going to allow people to extend the season indefinitely because the, the problems are with extending the season is that there are people whose contracts are up just before the transfer window opens on July the 1st. There are all kinds of kind of logistical problems about doing it. There are things like shirt sponsorship. I know Nike and New Balance have sorted it out with, with Liverpool that, you know, that whenever the season and if the season finishes that, that it will be in, in New Balance shirts before the new Nike deal takes over. But there are, there are so many logistical things to, to get sorted out between now and, and whether or not they, they finish the end of the season. There's, there's loads to, just loads of admin apart from anything else. But it's, there's no, it's not going to be suitable to everybody. But I think the most important thing is the season is seen to be finished. And that if you have to do a little bit here or there, it's not exactly up your street, then by the way, you've got to do it because it's a greater need of the game. I think they need it for rather than any individual. Can I go back to one of the, the things that you were you were saying and you were talking about about young players and the way that they, they were looked after by the club and trying to make sure they were fed and trying to but I'm just interested in the way that, that young footballers come through and the way that young golfers come through. And obviously you and Ian are of different generations. However, like even oh, he's not that even, old. even from <laughs> But even from when when you were young, you know, going out and being a golf pro, and the, and the, you know they they were trying to make you pay your green fees, weren't they? To be, you know, they were you had to pay them if you wanted to play in a in a tournament. So you kept your handicap re- reasonably high. To be honest, that's the same cheat my dad uses now at an amateur level. But if they do, <laughs> but if if like the the way that that young golfers come through has has that changed, and and does that affect? The, the way that they, they are. I mean, a lot of, and I know there's the American sort of collegiate system as well with that. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely changed a little bit. I mean, the norm, the norm for uh, an everyday tour pro today who's going to um, be getting his card and his, his playing, playing rights generally comes from a fantastic college career, um, generally in the States. Um, even some, you know, and most of the European players have been to a US college system. So they're known already by the, the golfing world for how well they've played as an amateur. Um, and generally, you know, they've, they've had a great record. They've been given some invitations to come out and play, some of which have earned the right to play seven events. And in those seven events, they've actually done well enough to, to be given uh, and earn their spot for a full card for the following year. And other guys generally go through, you know, the tour school qualification process, um, which again was a little bit different to how I did it. I, you know, I come out of the pro shop. I had to work. I didn't, you know, have the funding to be able to just play golf as a, as a full time job and work on my game. So, you know, I mean, I did it a long time ago now and, you know, I, the 20, the 21 years that I've been on tour has, has, has gone past me very quickly, but it's changed. The younger generation of players are more equipped, they're stronger, 
the college system is is building them up to be more you know more aggressive more feisty more confident um and you know training them really to be able to come out straight on tour to to actually win so it has changed you know in the in the two decades i've been playing um and you know it's it's not easy there are so many great players and tiger changed and and, and set the bar to such a high level that um you know the game the game is generally um, a difficult, you know, a difficult game to break through to come on to play. I mean, you've only got 150, 160 guys on the PGA tour or on 150, 160, um, you know, on the European tour. So, you know, 300 ish cards, uh, cover two, two main tours. Um, and that's, that's, that's hard to break into. Yeah, no. is that, oh, what would you say would be, uh, the asset that would give you the greatest chance of being a golfer would it be like your ability or would it be your mentality I think the mental edge is something which separates uh, the winners from just great players and um you know, just certainly, certainly in my sport, you know, you can think and you can name the players through the generations that you would have said were super dedicated, super ruthless, um, and have something about them which gives them that little edge. And, you know, if you name, you know, if you name the players, I mean, you know, Seve, he was ruthless. Faldo, he was ruthless. Greg Norman, ruthless. Um, Nicholas, ruthless. Um, Tiger, ruthless. Rory, wonderful young lad, but also very dedicated, very ruthless. And, you know, it's super confident, a bit of arrogance in the right way, but very, very, very dedicated in what they do. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, you could perhaps name the players yourself and, and other players that 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 competed at that very best level that separated themselves from the rest yeah it's always the mental strength the mental strength is always hugely important your desire your determination and um to be successful drives you forward as well so i mean I, I, if i'm playing golf now i'd rather win than lose but it's no my living, right? And I'm glad I never took it up. As an individual sportsman, I think I would have been rubbish. When you play as a team player, I think, as Paul said, there's so many other people can get you out of trouble that it's no true. Well, that, that's what I was going to comment on, Dad, uh, was that the fact that what I've what I've noticed, Post, just from the outside looking in, is that the players remain more or less the same ability-wise, technical ability-wise, but it's the, I always think the mentality in golf is the big thing. And what I've noticed is that an amazing golfer can have a downturn in form if they've got things off the course that are not allowing them to be in the right frame of mind. And, and uh, I, I, I think it's in football, people can be going through the same situations but it's not as noticeable because you've got 10 other people, as I said, to bail you out. Yeah. 
I mean, that's a. I mean, it's a great point, and you know, I think, I think first and foremost, I mean, when you when you dive into the backbones of that, any sportsman in the world that's got issues um, and stuff going on off off the golf course um, or off the pitch, it's hard to concentrate. Mm-hmm. Right. And and it's hard, you know, it, it it's hard to explain sometimes to people if um if you've just had a little bit, you know, you've had a little bit of a lull, you're trying to work out your stats, you're trying to really figure out, you know, why you you know, why you're not competing at your best. But every time that's happened to me and every time I've had to take a step back to have a look in um and really trying to evaluate what what's going on, every time that I've found myself in that situation, it is always because there's been quite a few distractions going on off the golf course mm-hmm. rather than on the golf course. And, mm-hmm. you know, when, when, when I've played spells of golf that, that I've done really, really, really well, if I think about it, it's all come so natural. So, so I'm not going to say easy, but it's all just flowed nicely. And I think about the times and the years and, the dates of when that um and there was a lot of being happy around that time of year there was a lot of good stuff going on there was no craziness you know behind the scenes um and it makes such a massive difference to you know to to your your, your mental state mm-hmm. when going out to play golf when you're flying right right do you have any you know you're hitting it really well, right? You know you're playing well. Whatever yep. sport you're in, you know you're playing well. Then you can go and you can be, apart from luck, you can go some other time, hit it just as well, but get nothing. Yeah. How yeah. did he, how did he come, how did he cope with that as a, I mean, if the guy's, if the guy's no strong mentally, he'll be going, oh, that's just my luck. I'm no destined to be this. But, People would maybe say that as a joke, but the ones that are only strong mentally, that must affect him if that's their mindset. Yeah, and I, I've got to be honest. I, I think at times when I've been low or when I haven't, you know, when I haven't been feeling great, and there, you know, it has been busy off the golf course. You know, you can as confident as you are in your own ability and the way you hit it on the range and the way you step up and you play the front nine and you don't hold putts and you've dropped a silly shot. It's almost like it compounds the errors just compound themselves. And, and, and when you're playing, when you're playing great and when you're in the zone and you, and, and everything's going fine, it's amazing how everything just kind of, you know, you don't drop the silly shot. You hold a 15 foot birdie putt, you chip in and all of a sudden you go and shoot 66 where, you know, when it's not happening and things are going on, you start double, you start questioning yourself. And when you question yourself, that's when you know you're going to be in a bit of trouble. The, so the, you're going, going, Dad. So if you if you're preparing for a putt and you've missed a couple, do you do you go into the next one or the the ones coming up with a wee bit different mindset? Obviously, you roll the first one and you're flying, but there's a lot. If you, if your mindset is dictating to what you're doing, just saying, well, I know it's left to right, and then you say, well, maybe I need a wee bit further left than that, or 
you hit it too too low and it goes the other way. You miss yeah, it. Yeah. You, you, when you go on, the, you, you go in that. Ah, you overthink it. Yeah, you overthink it. You tinker. You change your grip slightly. You try and feel the feelings that you had when you know you've gone out and shot some of your best rounds. You're always looking into, you know, why didn't I hold, you know, as many putts today? Why did I miss a four footer? Why did I, you know, why did I do all these things? And you start double questioning yourself. Mm. Um, and that's never a good mindset to be in. I mean, um, you know, watching. Watching football, I mean, you know, number a number of times I can think where I've watched a I've watched a game of football and I've seen I've seen a guy come out with a different pair of boots on in the checking out. Mm-hmm. I mean, did did you ever find yourself changing your boots? The very when I was making uh, my first league game for Celtic, I was trying to put my left boot on my right foot. <laughs> and, <laughs> I did that my whole career. <laughs> it looked like it anyway. I never noticed one of the proceeds are you nervous? I went, oh, I'm all right. He went, try to put the boot on the wrong <laughs> Listen, that's nothing to what you were doing the other day, Dad. When you went out, you tried to do, I don't know if you saw it, but he went, he went out and he tried to do the um, the loo roll challenge. He started off with the keepy uppies and he couldn't do them. Then he was trying to kick it six. into like a... Well, you t- then you tried to kick it into a trophy. Yeah, but do you think it's because you had one boot on that was a size too small and one slipper? Do you think <laughs> that might that might not have helped? My slipper came off. Well, Look, because um, how many do you think you could? How many do you think you'd have got if you'd peaked? You know, if you timed it right to peak. <laughs> Five. <laughs> do, you know the, so, do you know the other thing as well? Mum gave him a drink and a sandwich as well. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, mum charged him, she only charged him four pounds. He was happy. <laughs> Kenny, question. Talking of pressure, right? So, Bob Paisley paid transfer record for you uh, £440,000. What year year was that? And did that that put massive pressure on you going, obviously going to a club like Liverpool? Well, it was 1977. And it also included 10% VAT. So the VAT man got 40 grand at the transfer. Um, and I think that was the best value that Liverpool could have got. They paid the, the VAT man 40 grand and just got me. <laughs> <laughs> but no, be honest, be honest. Let's be honest. I never put any figures on what I was worth. Yeah. And I came and it. Kevin was leaving, he was going to Hamburg and he was fantastically successful and a brilliant performer for, for Liverpool. I never I never chased him at the door. He decided to go. So I'm coming in and if you can't be yourself, then you can't be successful. If you weren't going to be successful, they wouldn't have signed you. So all I tried to do was to be myself and take it on for there. And um, we did all right. I scored on my debut at Middlesbrough. Scored on the first game at um, Anfield against Newcastle, and we're lining up. We come out the we come out the dressing rooms and you walk down the steps together. And there was a wee guy playing for for Newcastle called Tommy Craig, who I grew up with. He, we played in Glasgow school teams together when we were thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Scotland school boys, um, and we're coming and. Where you all touch the sign, and I said to me, Tommy, I said, Tommy, 
that's supposed to frighten you. He went, I know. I said, I'm absolutely terrified. <laughs> <laughs> and we went out and I scored then. So I got off to I got off to a good start. But all I wanted to be was myself. And if I wasn't if that wasn't good enough, then I'd have been disappointed. But I'd have got somebody else to go. Well, out of your I've got a question for both of you on that. Go on, go on, Paul. Sorry. I was going to say, oh, right, after. so you've scored 118 goals for Liverpool. Um, oh, Wikipedia, eh? <laughs> I'm, I'm pulling the stats out. I told you I printed off 59 pages. I'm, I'm scrolling through all these now. I've got, I've got to get my money's worth somehow. <laughs> well, all right. You, you, you've played, you've made 13 out of 14 cuts in the Masters. <laughs> <laughs> You're both on Google. <laughs> We're on fire. I'll tell you what, if you, if you run out of toilet paper, you know where that one can be won. <laughs> which one, which, which, can you name just one goal out of those goals, which was the, which, which was the highlight of all of them? Yeah, the, the first season, the, the cup final at Wembley, European Cup, always wanted a European winner's medal. Uh, got to the semi-final, uh, Cup Winners' Cup, and the semi-finally the European Cup with Celtic. Uh, obviously, get beaten both, and then I just wanted to win a European medal, and that's that was one of the most the most important reason for me leaving. And to get that in your first year, it didn't make you complacent. It just gave you a wee bit more hunger to go and do it again. Fortunately, we did. Yeah. What about yeah. for you? Ian, what's yours? Not your best well, goal, but... <laughs> I mean, His best goal was in that trial with Tottenham. <laughs> <laughs> I hit the crossbar, they said, off you go. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think for me, you know, on, on the big stage of, of what it's meant, you know, for me through the years, I think if, you know, it has to be Ryder Cups. And um, just for the, the pure buzz, excitement and the rush that I've had, you know, playing with Rory in Medina 2012, Saturday afternoon, you know, we're 10-4 we're down, we're getting absolutely slaughtered. Uh, it's looking like it's going to almost be a whitewash. And I just think for me to, you know, to be playing with such a, you know, such a great player like Rory, for Rory to birdie, 13 and open the door to set us up for me to make a few birdies and to hold, I think the, you know, to hold that putt on the last green at Medina with being the last game on Saturday night, Sergio and Luke had taken it to 10-5. We're still looking like, you know, it's, it's not going to be good. You know, knowing you've got a 15 foot putt to take it to 10-6 and give a little glimmer of hope and, you know, for me to hold that putt, to turn around to the team, to fist pump it, um, and really kind of energize a team, um, you know, is is always going to be a moment that I'll, I'll I'll remember forever. It was just it was what it was one of those you know magical moments. Even as much even as much as any of the shots, it's that high five, isn't it? That I always remember. From Medina, there's a moment with you and Rory McIlroy. We just you you high you just started to turn the tide, and it just it's I don't know. It's just one of those things that when you see the highlights, as much as any of the shots, you remember that moment. It was 
it, it was, I mean, honestly, it was incredible. I, I've never felt that, I've, you know, in Ryder Cups, I've felt that feeling and, and I've never felt that on the golf course. Any of my win, um, because you just, you're winning for yourself. It just means that's, you know, just means that much more when you're doing it for the team, you're doing it for your captain. And, um, you know, that, that rush of, of, you know, fist pumping one home to um you know to to score to to put a point on the board and to you know to fill the team full of energy was um i mean it was absolutely unbelievable ian poulter thank you very much for joining us uh thank you very much uh, to Kenny Dalgleish for making the long trip to chat to us as well paul well we'll see you next time guys thank you very much <laughs> thank all you. right boys and girls take care Bye. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.